Hello and welcome. I'm Matthew from Rosie and Rosie, investment property specialist, helping you invest in property with confidence. Today we're joined again by experienced financial planner and self-managed super fund specialist David Siostrom for the second part of our podcast on buying property in a self-managed super fund. Welcome, David, and thanks again for joining us. Pleasure, Matt. David, today I wanted to talk specifically about the process of setting up a self-managed super fund to buy an investment property, Uh, the process, the costs, and who's involved, um, as it's important to do these things in the right order uh, to ensure that we are compliant. So firstly, David, property or self-managed super fund first? Well, that is a key issue, Matthew. Um, It's absolutely essential that a self-managed super fund be established first. And the reason for that is that the property needs to be purchased in the name of the trustee of the self-managed super fund. If I've seen people who have bought properties in their own name, residential properties, uh, hoping to then uh, transfer it into the super fund, you're not able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's against the uh, the regulations. So it must be done in the correct order. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about the correct order. Someone wants to buy an investment property using a self-managed super fund. They don't have a self-managed super fund. Tell us what's the first part of this process. Okay. Well, first of all, in many cases, the person would seek advice first from a financial planner Mm -hmm. uh, regarding the appropriateness of a self-managed super fund for them. So that would involve a discussion about the pros and cons and whether it really fits their particular situation and the the goals that they have, and if uh, should that prove to be uh, to be good, mm-hmm. then uh, the next step is the financial planner would write a a written recommendation to support that fact. After that, it's a matter of then going ahead and um, setting up the fund, mm-hmm. and that would involve securing the documentation, uh, which is the trustee, the rules of the fund, uh, perhaps setting up a company to be the trustee mm-hmm. uh, of the self-managed super fund. You'd then register the fund with the tax office because you do need a tax file number and an ABN uh, for the fund to be able to operate. When that's done, you're pretty well uh, uh, ready to go. It would just involve, uh, require you then to go to the bank or whatever, set up a bank account for the fund, which is in the name of the trustee of the self-managed super fund on behalf of the fund. Mm-hmm. Because any, um, you know, if you've got other superannuation investments, you'd roll them into that. Uh, account mm-hmm. and then you'd purchase investments from that uh, fund bank account in mm-hmm. the name of the trustee of the fund. Yep, excellent, great. Now, as a financial planner, you can help with the advice. What sort of fees are we talking? You know, ballpark figure for that advice in the initial uh, part of the process. Yeah, certainly. Look uh, for the initial advice. I guess that initial discussion around the suitability for the client and to put it all down in writing in what we call a statement of advice mm-hmm. uh, would be around about $1,500 to $2,000 mm-hmm. plus GST. When that's done, then uh, it would typically involve, say, an accountant yep. to do the, the accounting function and that would involve, the as we've said, the registration with the tax office, um, setting up the bookkeeping services and, and so forth. That would be around about uh, $2,000 for that. And then, of course, the fund needs to be administered on an ongoing basis. So every year there is a, um, uh, an annual tax return mm-hmm. and also an audit needs to be arranged as well to ensure that the fund complies with the law. So for that, those ongoing um, accounting fees, probably around two to $2,500. Now, once the, uh, the, the trust, uh, the self-funded super fund and the trust has been set up, they've got the ABN, it's registered, they've got the funds together, it's only then that they really can go and enter into a contract to sale 
um, or purchase a, uh, an investment property. Yep. Um, if borrowing is involved, is it at this point that we should be talking to a mortgage broker? And what type of um, loans facilitate uh, or, or can be facilitated within a self-managed super fund? Yeah, certainly. And look, that, that is a really good point. I think uh, before a property, when a property is identified, then the fund trustees or members who are one of the same would want to uh, go and see a, a finance broker to really get an eye, a pretty good idea of what they're able to borrow. So if, if it's possible to get some pre-approval, mm-hmm. that would be a, an excellent idea uh, to do that. Um, sometimes off the plan investments, it might be a little more difficult, but at least they could get some sort of guide of, of you know, what sort of borrowings or level of borrowings are available. Mm-hmm. The other issue is that when a self-managed super fund is borrowing, uh, you're not able to use the usual residential mortgage, for instance. Mm. That's not suitable. There's a particular type of loan that self-managed super funds need to utilise when that the borrowing is involved. It's called a, a limited recourse borrowing arrangement. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a long word, but essentially it's a type of loan that if anything goes wrong, the uh, the lender can't then uh, take the other assets of the fund. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd basically, I guess, lose your property, but other fund assets would not be uh, you know would not be touched. Yep, yep. And as a result of that, the banks. Um, uh, loan to value ratio is generally a little bit lower for the uh, limited recourse uh, loans. That's that's right, mm. and and probably around about it depends on the type of property, but uh, quite quite often it's around sixty percent. Yeah, uh, around there because I guess they need to the banks would need to figure in a bit more safety given the limited recourse nature of the loan. Exactly. Yep. So after this, uh, if borrowing is involved, we bring in the mortgage broker, we set up or get borrowing capacity, understand um, LVRs and and whatnot. Uh, We can then enter a contract, providing everything goes through accordingly. We can settle on the property, uh, instruct a property manager to find a tenant. After that, there's the ongoing compliance and audit, which you alluded to earlier. Tell us a bit more about that and, and some of the people who are involved and the costs. Yeah, certainly. Look, in terms of the, I guess, the, the ongoing uh, compliance functions, typically an accountant or an administrator would be doing those functions. For most people, it would typically involve a um, an annual return, so informa- all the financial information, all the transactions that have gone through the fund would be collated and uh, a set of financial statements would be produced along with a tax return for submission to the tax office. Mm -hmm. And the audit uh, would also be um, arranged at the same time to make sure that the fund's complying with the law and and that's a key issue because if it's not, there are severe penalties uh, involved for that. Mm -hmm. From the financial advisor's perspective, it it may involve reviewing um, other investments that the fund uh, holds uh, and making sure that the fund can sort of meet all obligations as well. With any self-managed super fund, an investment strategy is, is always required and the actual portfolio of assets that the fund holds must reflect the, um, the, the written investment strategy and vice versa. If that's not the case, then we'd need to amend the, uh, the written investment strategy mm-hmm. so that, that that does occur. Because things change. Um that's people have children, lose jobs, that's get right. promotions, get divorced, yes. etc. So, correct. Um, sure. Okay. Well, thank you again um, for joining us, David. Is there anything else you'd like to impart upon our listeners who are interested in investing in property with self-managed super funds or setting up a self-managed super fund for other assets? Yeah. Look, I think Matt, the 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 big issue is to really first of all seek advice so that you've got a really clear understanding of self-managed super funds and uh, how they work in terms of um, what you can and can't do 
So that would be the first thing. Um, and to have a, a fairly clear objective in mind, whether you want to buy some, some property investments, you may want to include some other type of investments in the fund. So get a pretty good picture in your head as to what you're going to be doing. And then thirdly, um, certainly then take action mm. because uh, there's not a lot of use in, in setting something up and then, and then not utilising its benefits. Yep, great. Um, thanks again for joining us, David. Um, again, before you go, tell us how people can follow or get in contact with you. Yeah, the best bet would probably be to go to my website, which is www.davidcostrom.com.au, and uh, there's a contact button on the website uh, to get advice that they can press and then communicate with me that way. Great. Thank you again. Um, and thank you, listeners, for joining us too. We hope you found David's insights to be useful. If you have any questions for David, feel free to get in contact with him through the website. Similarly, if you have any questions, queries, or feedback for us, please send it in, comment below, or email hello at rosieandrosie.com.au. We'd love to hear from you too. It's been a pleasure having you with us again, but it's time for us to go. Uh, until next time, I'm Matthew from Rosie and Rosie, helping you invest in property with confidence. Wow.